I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So before we start today's show, I wanted to let you all know about a new podcast that's recently launched. It's called Ian Writes Everyday People. In each episode, Ian meets everyday people who have done extraordinary things. Guests include a father who walked barefoot from Land's End to Edinburgh. That's 700 miles to raise funds for his daughter's medical research. A grieving mother who honoured her son's life by donating his organs to seven desperately ill people. And a woman who founded a community kitchen to support Grenfell Tower survivors living in temporary accommodation. Ian Wright's Everyday People is out now, available on Apple, Spotify and all major podcast platforms. From one ear to another, this is a Mag's Creative production. This week on Castaway, I was virtually welcomed into Edith Bowman's home. A fellow presenter, music lover and podcast addict, we chat about her die-hard, pun intended, love of films, which led to launching her incredibly successful podcast, Soundtracking, back in 2016. Soundtracking welcomes musicians, actors, screenwriters and creatives who discuss with Edith the power of movie and TV soundtracks in shaping our viewing experience. Now, on today's episode, we dive into some of Edith's favorite shows, which include the music and lyrics podcast Song Exploder, the fictional agony ant duo Dear Joan and Jerrica, who've had us belly laughing at their so-called advice and longtime best of British show, the Adam Buxton podcast. Filled with Edith's favorite celebrity interview moments, this episode is a corker. So let's get cast away with Edith Bowman. Edith Bowman, welcome to Castaway. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. Oh, I'm so delighted. And, and also, I feel quite intimidated because I'm like asking you questions, the woman who's like interviewed everyone. And now I'm like turning the tables a little bit and want, I want to get into your brain. Oh, we're just having a chat. It's fine. It's we're just, just having a chat. A chat. <laughs> yeah. Just a chat. But first of all, most important question, how are you? How have you been? You know, I'm all right. Good days, bad days. I think the same as everybody else. I had a little cry on the phone with my mum earlier today, but you know, it's just that thing of missing people and, you know, there's a lot to kind of to juggle, mm-hmm. you know, gone are the days where you could leave the house, drop the kids at school and which you'll be learning soon, leave the kids at school and go and, <laughs> you know, go work. And now everything yeah. happens within the confines of your home really. So it's, it does affect you, I think kind of mentally, but it's, it's, you know, making sure you offload that and talk about it and get it out rather than you know kind of letting it build up so it's interesting but you know what I have to say work has been the thing that has definitely it's helping keep me sane I think being able to do the thing that I really love you know chatting to people and talking about films and music and things it's it's a bit of a saving grace to be honest I'm very lucky to be able to still do things and mastered a few new recipes along the way Oh, she's a chef now as well. I mean, that's a massive sweeping statement. (laughs) (laughs) A couple of recipes not make me a chef yet. 
<laughs> we have all adapted though in the last while and you very kindly give me a list of your favourite podcasts that we will talk about in a little bit but I do think the landscape of how TV and media works has, has adapted and we've all kind of had to be a little bit more technically minded <laughs> and I'm just wondering how have, how have you grappled with that? Well when I I remember when the very first lockdown happened what was that like 18 years ago? Oh, feel, and, yes <laughs> it feels like a few decades ago and I kind of went into a blind panic of going well I just need to make sure I've got every piece of technology available to be able to do whatever is required Mm -hmm. of me and kind of went nuts and had this constant stream of stuff being delivered to make sure that I could, you know, if I was asked, able to do stuff. Just because I was so scared of not being able to to work or, you know, be able to do stuff. And the the things I've learned, I bought a, a Steadicam for my iPhone that I then had to film my husband. He's got a new record coming out with Andy Burroughs and they're called Mm Smoking Burroughs. And so I had to film a performance of them for the Late Late Show with James Corden. So no pressure. (laughs) I hope you get a credit. I hope you get a credit somewhere. Did I hell. Camera work Um, by Edith Bowman. So that's been quite interesting, but I've, I've, it's also been quite nice. Like I've, I've liked being given challenges because it just takes your mind off things. It kind of distracts you. And I do love a bit of kind of tech chat because I'm all for a new gadget. So, yeah, bring it on. Bring it on. All the new skills learned. Um, When I look back at your career and all the people you've interviewed and the different platforms you've interviewed them on, you know, from MTV days and BBC radio and podcasting yourself, which is your own baby. And I remember, well, first of all, something you said at the very beginning of this podcast was like, it's just a conversation. And that's all it ever is, isn't it? It's yeah. just a conversation. Bring it back to that. Is that something you've always known from the start? Or is that something you've kind of learned over the years? I think it's definitely something I've learned over the years. It's really funny. My dad's got this brilliant cine film of me when I'm seven and we're on holiday. And she's just been out. Is it called paraponting where you go off the back of a speedboat in a parachute? Your holidays were fancier than mine. <laughs> and this was like... An, an, I am rubber dinging. <laughs> well, there was the Lilos in the fourth afterwards. Yeah. But yeah, I basically was singing the News at 10 theme tune. How at seven years old I knew the News at 10 theme tune is beyond me. And then I interviewed her and my dad's got this on cine camera and stuff. And I think that weird, I grew up in a hotel. And so I was always mm. customer service and talking to people and problem solving and, you know, answering questions and things like that for people. So I also had this constant flow of communication, but getting into interviewing, you know, music people and, and also just, you know, the public, I learned very quickly. It is about not having a list of questions because I think mm. if you can get a flow and you do as much research as you can so it's kind of in the brain in some way shape or form and that you react to people because I think that listening is such an important skill in interview it can lead you in the right direction in terms of being able to have a conversation so you're reacting to what someone's saying yes you have certain things you want to get to but there are ways of navigating your way around there if you listen really closely I think. For a lot of people, podcasting seems like a new phenomenon, even though it has been going for quite a while, but especially in the last few years. And for me, I don't know about for you, but it feels like a safer place. If I was on a podcast compared to being on a radio show or a live TV show, I don't know, I feel people, when you interview them or if you're being interviewed, it feels a little bit, I don't know, you feel vulnerable. Well, this feels like a protected space. Do you feel the same or why do you think that is? Well, I find it utterly liberating, to be honest, mm. because the, you know, soundtracking 
my podcast that we launched back in 2016. It's just me and my friend Ben, and it still is me and my friend Ben that, that do it. You know, I book all the guests, I go, I record it, I send him the audio, he edits it. And that purely came out of frustration from a traditional broadcaster not having a regular weekly slot for us. And we mm -hmm. knew that we could get these guests and we knew that there was definitely a conversation to be had about music and film. And so we were like, well, why don't we just do our own podcast thing? Because we can do that every week. And we have done, you know, we've only missed two episodes in that entire time since we launched back in August 2016. And yet that allowed us to be the bosses, to make the decisions on who the guests are. Because I know that at least half the guests that we've had on the podcast, we would not have been able to have them on had it been done through a traditional broadcast because they would have said things like no one knows who they are no one wants to hear from a music, music supervisor they're not a big enough name you know all that kind of stuff and for us it means that it's coming from a really truthful place because we come at it as being film and music fans it's not about being critics it's about having a conversation about film and music as a film fan and so that means that our goalposts mm -hmm. are we can fling them as wide as we want and that's what I love about podcasts is that there's no rules. It's your rule. It's your platform. You do what do what you yeah. want. I've seen you over the years. This will probably be the longest conversation we'll have ever had in our lives together because I've seen you over oh, the years in passing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Backstage at the BAFTAs. And it's always it's always such a, I, I don't know, even when you see the actors there and you're interviewing, you've got five minutes with them. They've come off stage and then they go on to something else. And and then when I, when I listen to soundtracking, it's so lovely to hear actors or directors just have that space where it's not just the promo trail of them yeah. being asked the same questions over and over again. And giving the sound bites, not being listened to, as you said, just, you know, someone with those three questions in front of them. So for you, it must be great. But for the people you interview, they must love it. Well, it's, it's quite interesting because weirdly before the whole kind of pandemic thing, I was quite strict on guests in that I insisted on them being face to face. So I'd get offered a lot of mm -hmm. people and they go, oh, yeah, we can do it. Can we do it down the line? I'm like, oh, no, 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 I need to do it face to face because I, 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 you know, I need to see the whites of people's eyes and I need to, you know, kind of react to them and get the energy in the room. But obviously with mm. COVID and the pandemic, that changed. But that's the amazing thing, I think, about what it's offered up is that it's offered up the opportunity to connect with people that I probably would never have normally got the chance to speak to. You know, you talk about the kind of promo trail and now you're speaking to people in their front rooms or their kitchens. And so they're they're instantly more relaxed and they're instantly... Mm more open and, and ready to to chat. You know, chatting to Tim Roth from his kitchen was just the most surreal experience. <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know, you find yourself kind of going, oh, because we I, I do it via, I do it via Zoom because I launched this little kind of companion YouTube show as well, yeah. just to keep myself occupied. And so I put up little clips on that. And so we sit there and we have a chat, you know, via Zoom. With, and But I'm like, oh, what's he got on his walls in his kitchen? You know, it's that kind of thing. It's... I'm so nosy. I just love finding out all I can about film and music from, mm -hmm. you know, people who are involved in it. And that's everybody, like you say, you know, composers and directors, but it's also, you know, producers and the writers and the, the music supervisors, just how the whole thing's put together. I love it. And I'm genuinely kind of just want to learn as much as I can. And that's the best way to learn. I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to Soundtracking, a podcast released every Friday in which I speak to directors, screenwriters, actors and composers about the use of music in cinema. And 
there's plenty to get stuck into with Todd. Given that his work features everything from Pink Floyd to Kanye West and Metallica to Graham Parsons. So who inspires him when it comes to the business of making his films sound right? The undisputed master, obviously. Todd Phillips, welcome to Soundtracking. I don't know where to start with you with music. Can I talk about you as a fan? What's the music from movies that you first remember having an impact? Oh my God, so many. I mean, certain directors use music yeah. so effectively. I mean, nobody more than Martin Scorsese, whether it's Gimme Shelter for the 15th time in one of his <laughs> yeah. movies. He still has to ask permission, though. You know that's so funny? I didn't know that. We were literally having this discussion about two weeks ago where I said, I bet you at this point he owns the songs. Because I don't think the Rolling Stones could play it without you thinking of Martin Scorsese. It feels more like his song yeah. than their song. I mean, if you watch The Departed, he literally uses it twice in one scene. He restarts it. I mean, no one does that. Well, well congratulations, because it's been such a huge success since you started. As you said, you kind of started in 2016 out of frustration, and then it built and built. You've won loads of awards. I mean, you look back at everyone you've had. As you said, you go for the, the unknown names, but you've also got the heavy hitters like Quentin Tarantino and Bruce Springsteen, John Favreau, uh, Stanley Tucci. I just listened to recently uh, Ricky Gervais on talking about Afterlife, which was really interesting yeah. to listen to him talk about, like... When a, someone writes something, the amount of time and effort that goes into the music because, you know, we're both huge music fans and mm. music, it really is a huge part of the story as well. Absolutely. You know, and some of them will write to music. Like I just interviewed this week um, Emerald Fennell and Carly Mulligan, who have got this new film mm-hmm. coming out called Promising Young Women. Oh, and I've seen the trailer. It's, it's yeah, it's spine chilling. And a lot of people will know Emerald from many things. One being she plays Camilla Parker Bowles in The Crown. But she's also mm-hmm. this amazing writer. You know, she's written, she wrote half a series of Killing Eve. She's got this amazing kind of credential as a writer. And this film she's written is phenomenal. You'll have seen the trailer with, the, with Britney's Toxic on there and stuff as well. But when she talks about how the music helped her inform the characters that she wrote, you know, she made a playlist before she even started writing and the playlist and the music helped inform the narrative and the emotions of the characters. And so that's what's really interesting to hear people talk about. And then things like Todd Phillips, when we had him on talking about the Hangover films and he talked about old Mm. school and he... One of the things that keeps coming up is how expensive it can be for certain artists to demand like high prices for their music. And he was talking about how... He wanted to use this one Guns N' Roses track on Old School and Axl Rose wanted a million dollars and he was like, yeah, right. And so he kind of, you know, he didn't have that kind of money to use on this little film, so they sort of went elsewhere. But it's extortionate sometimes when you think about how much money these... And it's crazy because it's the big artists that charge the big bucks. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the money doesn't even go to the artists. There's lots of other people involved who have to get paid. Oh, yeah. I've written a book and I was doing the audio of the book and there's a in it I just referenced you know the never ending story it's like childhood favourite never ending oh, yeah, story yeah, Lamar. Yeah. yeah Lamar. but I've just sang it there now but they were like oh you can't sing it you can't hum it in the audio because otherwise we'll have to get the rights of the and I was like well I can barely hum it anyway but all these <laughs> things like anytime you said anytime you reference something or a yeah. song that might make something and Ricky Gervais actually speak 
Netflix. But he's talking about Afterlife having the budget of Netflix as opposed to other sitcoms he's done yeah. where he's like, I just have to get someone to write a jingle because I can't afford the song I want. Well, you know, remember like in the office when there's the, when he does the dance, yeah. you know, so there's, yeah. there's, probably, there's probably a reason specifically that it wasn't an actual song, well, you know, properly decipherable song that he sung. Yeah. It's just a cheaper version. Yeah. What makes a good soundtrack for you? I think, you know, there's there's two different kind of camps to it, really, because obviously you've got the score that's created specifically for the film by the composer. Mm-hmm. So and then you've also got the other side of it where you've got needle drops and, and familiar songs that are in there for whatever reason. They might be in there because they're I love using this word diegetic it makes me feel really clever, mm-hmm. but it's it's one word. And it means when the music's within the narrative of the film. So if they're turning the radio on and a song's there, as opposed to mm-hmm. just being used as a kind of background track to play with emotion. But I think that for me, it's got to feel like the music as is almost like a character in the film. So you you notice it, but you also don't notice it. So it's it's driving things on and it feels kind of ever present. So I interviewed Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor last night who've done... Most recently, they did Soul, the new Pixar mm-hmm. film. And they oh, did, I just watched that. Yeah, Disney. It's yeah. beautiful, isn't it? Oh, so beautiful. Yeah, and then they did Mank, the new David Fincher film, and they started working with Fincher on Social Network. Those are two very mm-hmm. different scores, but there's an amazing synergy with the visuals. But then, you know, for me, it's things like John Williams is just like, you know, he's the Don. He's like... Iconic. It's like, you know, my childhood was absolutely scored by everything that he wrote, and... You know, I wasn't like a film school kind of nerd. I didn't go to film school. I, I did a little bit of studying a film when I was at uni and stuff. But I, you know, I'm I'm only learning about a lot of different cinema now through through mm. work and through doing this and through being excited about it. I never kind of, I get a bit edgy and uh, uncomfortable under my skin when people kind of describe me as like a journalist or a film critic. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm just a fan. You know, I'm kind mm. of, I'm not kind of coming in here trying to sort of say that I know everything about it and stuff because I have you know I'm coming into it with an emotional connection who's been your favorite guest oh my god um, like your, who's your favorite child <laughs> today question. it would be oh god that's a really I'll tell you who one of my favorite guests would be just because of of who she is and the work that she's done is Thelma Schoonmaker who is Mm -hmm. 82 years old and she's been Martin Scorsese's editor since Raging Bull and she won the fellowship at the BAFTAs a couple of years ago and so as soon as that was announced I was like straight on to her so anyway I went around to her hotel room and sat with her for half an hour and just she just told the most amazing stories about working with Scorsese and how he really looked after her and and kind of had her back as well because in the States to be able to work you have to be a member of a union but to be able to be a member of a union you have to have had the work so it's kind of a bit of a it's a tricky one particularly within the director's guild and the editor's guild and all that kind of thing and he really fought her case and so it's amazing to hear of people standing by particularly women in the industry and making sure they're giving them the opportunities because that's a constant conversation that I'm trying to, you know, get out there and and make sure that I'm addressing that side of things within the podcast Mm -hmm. as well. And, you know, particularly with the whole Black Lives Matter movement as well was something that I felt that I needed to address. And so I, I really made a point of making sure that I felt the podcast was being inclusive and, 
yeah, all that kind of stuff. But she was amazing. I was so thrilled to be able to get her on. And it was a bit like sitting in the room with your nana, but a really, your really cool nana who like, you know, has worked with Scorsese <laughs> for, for like 50 years or whatever. Even as a personal goal with the podcast, it must feel incredible. Like you're talking about, you know, I want, I want to talk about Black Lives Matter more. I want to be more inclusive on this podcast. If you were on another platform with this, you probably wouldn't have as much to say about no. the content that goes out. How does it feel at this stage looking back compared to what it started in 2016 to the control you have now to be able to sit with someone like Thelma, who, as you mentioned, maybe wouldn't get an interview that long on a, another platform and to be able to have these stories and hear these stories, it must be be such a I don't know for yourself just to be like look what we've created look what I've created I still kind of sort of baffles me to be honest you know that that we're able to do it and I kind of do pinch myself you know particularly like the way that work is happening right now like last night I mm-hmm. you know I got the kids fed ready for bed and then I was, I was you know I was like Tom can you I'm just gonna go upstairs and interview Trent Reznor at Ross and it's like <laughs> you know that's just odd in itself but the fact mm-hmm. that I'm able to get access to these people, and like you say, have these really nice long conversations with them. It's not a five minute kind of sound bite. It's an in-depth conversation about what they love about what they do, why they do what they do, what they get from what they do. The highs and the lows of it as well, being told no and being told it's not good enough and how they come back from that and all that kind of stuff. And I I can't, t- you know, you've said about it being my baby and it, it, it really feels like that. I'm so proud of what we've been able to achieve so far. And it kind of feels a little bit like my own sort of Desert Island Discs in a way, you know, something that's been running forever that kind of has got no end point because, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's constantly making new productions. We've had guests that have been, you know, you have come back a couple of times, which is really nice when people want to come back on. We've had people ask to come on and also just in terms of how you get guests on obviously you get you know you get pimped people on promo then you approach people I've I've sent direct messages to people on Instagram who have come and done it but I just I'm so proud of it I really am and it's and I'm so happy that we're able to to keep doing it and also what's really important for us is that we're really supporting that side of the industry you know drive people towards listening to the soundtracks listening to the music or listening to the music that inspired those those filmmakers or artists. You've created such a successful podcast that people listen to that I always love to know what you listen to because I think we can mm. tell a lot about, similar to you mentioned Desert Island Disc, what music you listen to, but I think the stories that intrigue us and we're all multifaceted people. We don't just listen to one type of thing. And I asked you for a list of recommendations and you gave me a mixture. You listened to quite a mixture of things. Some we've never talked about in the podcast before. Some yes. have popped up. So I want to, because I want to talk about trust because you, you, as you said, you book your guests, yourselves, people trust you. You're a voice that people trust and they will sit with you and they will tell you things. And I want to talk about, I mean, this guy is a huge success. Mark Maron, uh, what, the, what the fuck WTF. Yeah. I just think, I, I mean, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, more than 6 million downloads each month, 250 million lifetime downloads within its first six years. Oh my God. Yeah, but if only. He has, <laughs> he has had so many people on including the president at the time, uh, Barack Obama, because people trust him. What is it about this podcast that makes you makes it onto your list of recommendations? So I, I love listening to this for many reasons. One, I just I just love his sort of Stonerville kind of approach to it. You know, he kind of he's got he's not he's not impressed by any of his guests, which is quite funny. And I quite like that about him. I love his comedy. I think he's just 
He's a brilliant voice, but also just he he kind of asks the questions that nobody else asks. Afraid to ask. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think that the kind of, you know, the variety of guests that he has on as well, you know, like the Patti Smith episode from, mm-hmm. I think that was from last year, was kind of like yeah. absolutely amazing. And then, yeah, like you say, like, you know, politicians and, and kind of writers and... But he treats everyone the same exact, as well, because I remember with, it. like, everyone has to come to his garage. That's the way it is, yeah. you know? And then I don't know if you, the the passing of a, a, a really talented um, lady called Lynn Shelton, who was a director and writer, and they were together and she passed away last mm-hmm. last May. And the first time they properly met was when she came on his podcast. And from, I think it was 2015. And after she passed away, he did an episode in Remembering Lynn. And the introduction to him replaying out that interview is just the most beautiful thing and the most upsetting thing, but the most honest thing I think I've ever heard on a podcast. It's just, you know, he talks about losing her and about how they met and what that meant to him and what she meant to him. And, oh my God, it's amazing. And I just think that that's what's kind of really great about about him is that he's, there's no agenda you know, in terms mm-hmm. of there's no boundaries, there's no agenda. He asks what he wants. Sometimes he gets the response, sometimes he doesn't. But I also love his intros and in that he reflects on those moments with those guests before you play them. In a similar way to kind of, you know, I think I mentioned Adam Buxton is another suggestion. And yeah. almost for me, Adam's the kind of British equivalent of this in a way, less Sweden. <laughs> but yeah, Adam has kind of like funny words that he uses instead of Sweden, which is brilliant. But yeah, I think that Mark's just... And then it's kind of really got me in, interested in him as a performer as well. Weirdly, my podcast was my intro to him. And then I'm like, oh, my God, he's in Glow. And then, you mm-hmm. know, he kind of pops up in all these other things. So I'm really interested to to watch his comedy and watch, you know, him as an actor as well. But I think in terms of a podcaster, he's he's amazing. How's it going? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. I don't know how long you've been around, but if you're new here... Uh, welcome. Just hang out. We've been doing this for over a decade. Jesus, long time. And I talk to people. I talk to, I, I have them, I used to have them come over to the house and I talk to them. And now we've figured out a way to do it like everybody else on the computer. We can, you can do it on, like my mother was, did you do it on the computer? Are you on the computer today? Did I see you on the computer? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we've uh, figured it out. And I tell you, man, once I got the hang of of talking to people on the Zoom, it, it was uh, it it turned out to it's turned out to be really good. We've really yielded some interesting and deeper talks than I think some of the ones that have happened in person, to be quite honest with you. It got to the point where I was talking to somebody, this is weird, but I I was talking to somebody the other day on a Zoom interview, and I was having a memory of talking to somebody years ago, but my brain framed it as if it were a Zoom. Like I remembered talking to the person, but on Zoom. So the context has invaded the actual structure of my mind. Like my memories are now Zoom memories. Like I've got Zoom, I've got a screen in my head that I'm looking at things through. It's a little fucked up. It's a little scary. I'm worried about my mind. Jodie Foster is on the show today. 
And I mean, everyone wants to go on on his show. Like you just see the list there. Everyone wants to be there. And yeah. And there's almost, a, you mentioned the vulnerability, but there's also just an everyman, you know, even though, he, I mean, he's very successful, but you kind of feel like, you know, how he talks about, like, I'm sitting here in my garage and it goes even, you know, Adam Buxton, like, he goes for the walk with the dog. And, yeah. and my you wife. know, we, we, my, <laughs> we, we're so used to, especially when you work in telly, that everything has to be shiny and perfect and things can't go wrong. And, and, and I mean, we learn to do that less and less in the last year, but... In podcasts, we kind of we kind of are drawn to the things that go wrong and we're drawn to the everyday and the simplicity. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I remember when I started in at MTV and it was I had I had an idea in my head of what a presenter had to be. Mm. And I learned really quickly that that's absolute bullshit. That being yourself and being as true to yourself as you can be on screen, you know, that's that's kind of what I think can give you longevity and 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 people can then connect with you both in terms of people watching but people that you're in the company of and I think that you know whenever I get asked you know what's your advice for you know new broadcasters and stuff I always say just don't try and be something that you're not be be as truthful to yourself and be as you know I really hope that I'm the same person off mic as I am on mic or on camera Mm. and off camera and I think that that's the thing for me that I that I really resonate with Mark and Adam having worked with Adam as well I you know he's exactly the same and I think that that's what podcasts allow you to do and I think weirdly as soon as there's a kind of I don't know there's a a proper crew or a proper like you know studio involved it, it kind of not that it creates barriers but it just adds more complications in a way and it makes mm-hmm. you feel a bit more self-conscious about mm-hmm. what you're saying, what you're asking and all that kind of thing. And I think that the fact that we're all now doing this from our bedrooms or our kitchens or our living rooms and stuff, the barriers are down and it's kind of, you you can't, it's nothing to hide behind anymore. Yeah. And I do, I do feel when you first start in telly, like it's a bit of a facade. People oh think it's Oh my God, glitz- my accent. They think it's glitzier. about? I was like, geez, I was like... <laughs> Yeah, you're not from Morningside, love. You're from Fife. Like... But but they pretend. I remember like starting out in MTV as well. Like I was like, oh, this is like big and glam. And then you realise, I think by the time I was there, there was no makeup artist. I was getting changed in the toilet. But I felt yeah. the public perception. I had to pretend it was something that it wasn't. But I was like, behind the scenes, it was like we were just barely keeping it together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like okay, I think it was like full sense security. Like for the first week, you got your makeup done, and then it's like, and here's Lindsay and Patricia. They will teach you how to do your own makeup and you'll be doing it on your own. I got that. I got that. Someone taught me and I was like, I have no idea. Try different colour eyeshadows. I'm like, I looked horrific. What's eyeshadow? (laughs) I know. I looked horrific. Hopefully their their tapes are burned somewhere. (laughs) But but you're right. But people people kind of love hearing that. And they now we're like, oh, we can be open and say, we didn't know what we were doing. There were mistakes. And that's the joys again of a podcast. When you hear things go wrong in the background and you leave it in. I remember we recorded one of the first podcasts we recorded, the doorbell went and we answered the door and things like that. I'm like, keep all that in because that's that's what you want. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's kind of that thing where you're recording with people now and they've not put their notifications off on their computer. And so you hear the email <laughs> pings coming in as you're, you know, as you're doing it and stuff. I think that that's just, everybody just wants to kind of lose any I don't know, it's just easier, isn't it, if you're not trying Mm. to be something else. Mm -hmm. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. 
Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, we say being something that you're not. And now I'm going to move on to the next podcast where it's uh, two people who aren't who they are, but it's Dear Joan and Jerrica, which is absolutely hilarious. It, honestly, it just has me in stitches. And the first time I listened to it, it was uh, recommended by a friend. But I just I just literally just downloaded it and start listening to it without realising that it's actually two comedians. And I was like, what? what is it? Who, who am I listening to? Tell me a little bit about Dear Joan and Jerrica. So Dear Joan and Jerrica is actually, uh, sorry to spoil the illusion for everyone, is actually Julia Davis and Vicky Pepperdine. And they have created these characters who are the most brutal <laughs> agony ants you'll ever come across. The rudest, the... I mean, they've just got no filters at all when it comes to dishing out advice. And I just think that I'm a massive fan of Julia. She's mm-hmm. she's incredible. And this this thing just kind of came out of nowhere in terms of, you know, they weren't kind of shouting about it. It wasn't a big kind of launch. They just put it out there. And I just think it's there's nothing else like that. They kind of go places that... That, you know, it's those things that you th- that sometimes flash through your brain. You go, I shouldn't really think that. But they like will spend 10 minutes kind of going there on it. Mm-hmm. And they had one episode where they talked about someone's wife had died in a water ski accident or something. And just mm-hmm. the response to, <laughs> response to it was unbelievable. And you're kind of like, oh, my God, you can't say that. But they do. And I'd love to speak to Julia about it, actually, in terms of if it's, how much of it's scripted and how much of it is improv, you know, because she's got so much experience in terms of that that world of improvisation and the scripts that she's written and the characters that she's played over the years. I'd imagine a lot of it is 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 improvised. I was listening to it with Ian, my other half, and mm. we, we were one. I was like, how much of that is improvised? Because you can sometimes, I wonder, are they trying to make themselves laugh? Because they're reading out these questions that have come in from the public and they come up with these names sometimes I'm like they've just made they're they're trying to make each other laugh how do they not laugh I mean in those situations yeah. how do you how they're do so you, straight though aren't they it's yeah. so dry how do you not laugh dear Joan and Jerrica I recently met a lady at a cuddle party and when she said she didn't want sex I said well done for taking care of yourself and then managed to wipe the tip of my penis around her anus. Is this okay? She didn't seem to think so. Alan Ottoman from Soho. Oh, Alan. Um, 
Yes, it's a, it's a difficult letter, this, isn't it, Joan? Well, it is, because I think we think these cuddle parties are rather confusing. No. It's for, apparently, a non-sexual uh, way of being intimate with strangers. Mm. Uh, generally speaking, people are naked or certainly just down to their undies. Mm. And, little, um, thong, little thongs or sort of peephole bras. Yes, and, oh. and you get a lot of these guys there and a lot of these rather desperate women mm. who frankly are looking for something a little bit sexy yes of course they are uh, but are sort of pretending they're not no i mean i think this is nonsense a cuddle party is essentially a sex party um people are delusional if they go along to a cuddle party and think that that's simply what they're going to get it's just basic fact a guy gets uh, a whiff of a thong or a, a peep of a, a, a peephole boob um, and he's naturally going to want to go at whatever part of the body he's spied and his penis will be honing in, zoning in and searching around for us, you know, as happened in this instance, uh, an anus to wipe his uh, end of his penis around or indeed to push into and go in and out and in and out and have a have a jolly good old... Exactly, I mean, it's go. very much like a sort of periscope, isn't it, coming up from yeah. something? Marine. It is um, like a yes, almost like a little blind worm coming up and searching for a for a tidbit um, out of the earth, scrabbling around. Angry mole just heading its way towards whatever it can find in, a place to burrow itself into. Indeed, a sort of anteater seeking out the grubs and uh, pushing his snout in and out. And uh, of course, the anus will be covered in grubs. Yes, uh, well, especially if it's uh, somebody who's regularly attended these cuddle parties. They're renowned for passing on little grubs and uh, tiny little insects of various kinds um you know it's not a huge problem but it just means that you've just got to give a good old take an antiseptic wipe or something so Mm. that you can give yourself a good old wipe round afterwards i think they're i think they're genius i hope someone somewhere makes it into some kind of mrs martin tv Mm. show type thing there's i don't know about you though you know you say how extreme some of the things that they talk about but it kind of does remind me. I have my mother's generation yeah. and mother-in-law and stuff. Like, yeah, it's it's not real life, but yet there's elements of it where there is a certain generation and people in my family that I can actually connect some of these characters with. Yeah, it's like, it's like and also just the kind of what women have fought for in terms of their, you know, their position in society. And this kind of just completely flips that on its head. You know, the the fact that it's why he turns away do's and don'ts from date. You know, it's like, you know, it's yeah. kind of, it's very, very funny. Um, it was launched just in actually 2018 and in 2019 won the British Podcast Award for Best Comedy. And um, when would you listen to this? Because I always find when you listen to podcasts, like when do you have like, okay, I'm going to listen to something that's a little bit more gritty now. I'm going to listen to a big full interview. Do you know what? I just need 20 minutes of Dear Joan and Jerrica. Do you have different kind yeah, of I do actually. places that you're in? So like Mark, I listen to... I, I use Mark's actually quite a lot for research because a lot of the guests that we've had on Soundtracking have appeared on there. And it's an amazingly insightful thing as well. With Dear Joan and Jerrica, we just got a dog about wherever we got him in September. And so he's only five and a half months old. So I will take him for a walk and listen to... Joan and Jerrica, because it's not the type of thing that I can have on in the house as the kids are running around. Um, <laughs> but I, I, that's kind of me on my own and laughing out loud as I'm walking down lanes and across fields and stuff. So good. Because then I can just kind of, I feel like I've kind of, I'm losing myself. And, and also it's that kind of thing of, of laughing at things that kind of weirdly, I think I shouldn't be, but I am. Mm-hmm. So then no one can mm-hmm. see me laughing at those bits. So no one can like, judge yeah. you. No yeah, one can judge exactly. you. Exactly. 
Exactly. Just the dog. Yeah. Um, <laughs> moving on to, um, this is a favourite on this show. We've actually had Jesse Ware was on last series, uh, Table Manners. I mean, this is brilliant. Uh, and especially for someone who's recently become even, you know, more of a culinary professional yeah. like yourself. Nah. But Table Manners, it's just, I guess when Jesse came out with this with her mom, it was I just wasn't expecting it. And, and I think that's why they've done so well because it's a different side to her personality and... And, I, and Lenny, and it just works. Why does it work for you? Why is it on your list? Well, I think there are certain podcasts that were ahead of the game in terms of mm-hmm. they came from a really truthful place. And this is a this is a great example of of that. And kind of from, from sort of having interviewed Jessie so many times over the years and, you know, kind of way back when she was featuring on Disclosure and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I know for her, there was a there was a period where she felt a bit kind of not out in the wilderness, but I, she was just kind of working out where she fitted mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, her music and how difficult it can be for artists to to get on playlists and all that kind of thing. And that was when she kind of launched this with her mum. And I think it came out of a genuine place of a f- feeling like she needed a kind of creative outlet. And she genuinely has this fantastic, brilliant relationship with that, with her mum. And, and I think that that's what is so great about it is that it came from a really truthful place. It wasn't someone going to her going, would you like to do a podcast? What, sh- what should we make you do a podcast about? It came the other way in terms of, her going, mum, should we, what about, you know, because you can imagine them, this this starting from them both just being around the kitchen themselves, the two of them. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's why, that's why it does so well, because it, it hits so many buttons. You know, it's got the kind of culinary side to it as well, but it just, the two of them are just able to get really nice conversations out of people as well and talk about things that, again, that thing of being sat down at a dinner table is slightly different from being sat in a junket room. Hello and welcome to Table Manners. I'm Jessie Ware and I'm here with my mum at her house. How are you mum? I'm okay darling. You made dinner for us yesterday. Yeah. It was so delicious. You are the best at roasts. I love you so much. When you do those garlicky smelly beans. When you do the garlicky cannelli beans with parsley and they make me so happy and you put that with the lamb. It was just a great combo. And then when you let me have mint, mint jelly because there wasn't that much. I just I'll loved it. some more this um, week. And then you kind of, yeah, you blew my socks off with the most sugary chocolate cake. I love that it was gluten-free, but it's going to give you a heart attack with the amount of sugar that was on it. So thanks so much for that. I didn't eat it. Yeah, I mean, it really stressed me and Sam out. God, you get stressed out by chocolate cake. Apparently so. Your world's very small. (laughs) Apparently so. It was really... Fuck. Fucking hell, yeah. God, life. Please, when will it... Chocolate cake's done it Death by chocolate, she, yeah. No, honestly, get getting chocolate. high on chocolate cake. God, when will this lockdown end? <laughs> anyway, today we have a corker of a guest on. We've got the Lord Lloyd Webber. I think having Lenny there, there's something about Lenny that you, I feel like people will will tell her everything. Like exactly. you have someone there who's quite guarded about, they're guarded about their private life. Lenny will ask them about who they're seeing and they'll tell her because she's just such a mom. Yeah, exactly. And she'll kind of, again, she'll sort of say the things that we all kind of, you know, it's almost kind of that weird thing that mums can have sometimes in the same way that yeah. small children can have of of not having any filter and that kind of almost truth serum of they'll just say it as it is. They've also got a cookbook that features many of the meals from the series. I mean, they've served Ed Sheeran, sausage and bean casserole, Nigella, imagine cooking for Nigella, blackberry and custard tarts. What would you like to be cooked? What's your meal of choice? Oh man, God, just to be cooked for. Oh, I'm so bored of making <laughs> food of like 
if someone, are you the cook in the house then yeah oh if anybody asks me what are we having for lunch one more time literally I'm gonna throw a pie out the door I I really I do enjoy well I did enjoy cooking I think that lockdowns definitely put the edge on that but um if I was gonna get cooked for what would it be do you know what I'd love lobster spaghetti fancy oh it was I mean it's a proper like treat thing I remember what was his name what was the Italian chef that was on telly quite a lot he had about 45 restaurants in British or Italian Italian oh yeah yeah okay yeah Yeah, Zillies he used to do the most amazing lobster spaghetti and you'd go in there you'd have like kind of lock-ins and be drinking limoncello till like five in the morning and stuff so that's what I would love for someone to come and cook me lobster spaghetti oh god yes Imagine if you can get Lenny to cook lobster spaghetti. That's the dream, isn't it? Salivating at the thought of it. Yeah, I'd love it. <laughs> you, re- you really took that question and you thought about it. I like you thought about that answer a lot. A little bit too much. Too much. <laughs> um, do you have any favourite guests from Table Manners? Because you've a lot of these people you'll have interviewed before, but sometimes when you see someone, you know, in a different setting, you're kind of like, oh, I didn't know that about them. Or oh, I've learned something new about that person who I thought I knew really well. Do you know what was quite funny? Kat was on it recently and I just found myself giggling quite a lot at it because, it, you know, we when did we last see each other physically? That would have been maybe like... Because she's moved back now. She's yeah, moved yeah, back she's, to Kat Dealey. This is yeah. She's moved back. She's back from the States. And so I saw her in, it must be November because she was on in November. And it was just so nice because she was kind of talking about you know, it's your mate talking and she's talking about stuff that you absolutely connect with her about, the, you know, if she had her choice, she'd have a glass of champagne with every meal and that kind of <laughs> thing. And it's like, oh yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Oh, I miss you. And that kind of thing, which I thought was great. And then Michael McIntyre, I thought was amazing on it. And mm-hmm. I am a massive fan of Sam Fender. And so mm. I just, I love his accent. I love accents. Sam's, I mean, his he's such a talent as well in terms of his you know, his music and, and what he's releasing. We love a bit of Sam Fender in the house at Full Blast. So authentic as well, though, isn't it? He's so grounded. Yeah, he, t- he totally is. And he had a really tricky kind of first, you know, that first year that he came out because he had to mm-hmm. cancel loads of gigs because he's voicing. You know, that's him as an artist, understanding his boundaries in terms of what he's capable to do physically and stuff like that. And I really felt for him. But it was great to see hear him on, on really, really top form, actually, and talking cocktails as well. I had a really bad cocktail experience a couple of weeks ago. It was my birthday and a couple of my mates had sent me individually these, you know, get through the door flowers, like Freddie's flowers yeah. or whatever. Well, these are like, it's the equivalent, but cocktails. So they okay. come. Fits through your letterbox. <laughs> yep. They come, they come in these little okay. like cardboard boxes. Each cocktail has its own little pack. And so mm-hmm. you get like five cocktails in one box. And it's a case of literally putting ice in a glass, shaking the little packet, snipping it off and pouring it in, off you go. And they've, they've been made like by this Italian company. So they're like proper. And so it was Negronis, old fashions, all that kind of stuff. And so my mates had organized like a little surprise birthday Zoom. And I was like, wicked, I'll get the cocktails out. Um, totally out of practice on the drinking front. Not that I drink that much now anyway, but oh my God, two Negronis and I was crawling the next morning. You should, oh my, I was embarrassed. <laughs> oh, it was awful. The lockdown like, hangover. Jeez Louise, it was so bad. Like, nowhere to run from the kids. It was like, oh. I, I'm very jealous because I don't know what I don't know what a hangover is for the last few months and I Aww. would love to. <laughs> I would love to. You're talking, I'll, I'll, I'll take my cocktail in a sachet or in a carton or any any form it comes in. I'll have Just them the waiting as soon as you've had the baba. 
<laughs> Thank you very much. We're going to come to the last podcast that you've recommended. Now, you give me such a mixture, but it feels like only fair that there'd be a music one here. And I want to talk about Song Exploder because it's a podcast. It's now a TV show, actually, on Netflix. It's mad how something goes from a podcast to like on Netflix. But tell me a little bit about Song Exploder, Edith. It's as simple as an artist takes one of their songs and sort of deconstructs it. And mm-hmm. it's, I just find it really, really interesting, you know, being a fan of music. And what I love about this as well is that it's not driven by genre. So it's not we only mm-hmm. talk about this type of music, which is really interesting because my kids don't know what genre is with relation to music because they, you know, they watch films. So they're into everything from classical music to ACDC because that's a lot of the places that they discover music. And I think that that's such a healthy way to approach music. So, you know, they have everybody on from like Cat Stevens to Run the Jewels to they had Amy Mann on who dissected one, which is a song that's on the Magnolia soundtrack, the Paul Thomas Anderson film. And it's just I love it. There's no there's no host. It's just the artists. There obviously is someone in the background interviewing them, you know, asking the questions and and getting what they need out of them for the for the episode. But the way that they edit it, it's just the artist talking about their their craft and how the song was made and how it was put together and the different versions that it went through. And there's a Fleetwood Mac episode as well, which is just, mm. oh, my, I mean, it's it's so great. I think it's brilliant. And it's it's quite meditative as well. So I kind of like listening to it when I when I want to kind of chill out a bit, unless it's a kind of proper like banging tune and then you literally want to go raving afterwards. And really, in the case of Fleetwood Mac, I mean, everything was so written on the sleeve, so to speak. I had broken up with Stevie at that point. John and Christine McVie, who had been married, had broken up. Three of those people were writers and were writing to each other. So, I mean, usually if you break up with somebody and you want closure, you know, you're going to not see them for a long time or maybe ever. And so... There was this exercise of the making of rumors, especially, where you had to kind of compartmentalize everything. Writing the song and singing it required me to do that. I think it's really clever. And I think that, you know, I'm kind of of the mind as well now that I I kind of crave information about things. So I think taking things on surface value and as an entertainment thing is great. But then I also think that if something really resonates with you and you really connect with something, it's lovely to have an opportunity to to kind of deep dive into it. And I like hearing people talk about their craft as well. And I guess music critics dissect songs and we look at songs, but just to kind of have the artists themselves talk yeah. about the song and bring you on that journey. And it is a journey. It is a journey. Yeah, and it's it's not about... It's not about critiquing something. It's not, and it's, you know, and and also my whole thing with kind of critics is like, well, who gives you the right to say whether something's good or bad? You know, these people have, have put their heart and soul into something. It's the same with like, you know, when you, I mean, I've appeared so many times on like worst dress lists and it's like, well, who gives you the, the right to kind of have that opinion about someone? You know, what do you think I left the house going, oh, I really hope I make it on a worst dress list today. It's like, no, I left the house feeling a million dollars. So, you know, how dare you, you know, try and strip that away from someone. And I think that that's kind of one of the, sorry, I've got off a total tangent here, but I think that that's one of the the massive problems with our media is that people hide behind these kind of faceless digital platforms where they've got no comeback on it. 
And so mm-hmm. that frustrates me and infuriates me. And sometimes when you call people out about it, they're really surprised because they don't expect you to respond to something. But I think, mm-hmm. well, if you say something that can be hurtful and for, for no reason whatsoever, and you have really not put yourself in that position, and how would you feel about it? And that's what I kind of love about this is that there's none of that. Yeah. It's coming purely from where the artist intended the song to come from. I think with all of the podcasts that you've mentioned as well, there is like a non-judgmental, there's an openness. And it's so interesting hearing you talk about the media because I feel like that's something I've been trying to get my head around. And, and especially looking at, you know, so many incredible women who, who are on telly and you and people like Davina. And I remember like even something that, I remember getting really upset about something and I remember Davina or someone saying something like, oh, that's just the way it is. Like, I'm like, oh, that's just the way it is. And, mm. and I'm like, oh, but why is it the way it is? Because we haven't had a chance to talk about it. And the more you hear someone like you say that that upsets you, I'm like, that upsets me as well. But yeah. I didn't know we could, I didn't know we could talk about it. And those worst dress lists or being compared to other women who yeah. wore it best. Both of us bloody wore it. Great, actually. Yeah. And it's really, it's really nice to hear someone say that because we're kind of told not to say anything but I think say it say it say it away when do you ever see like worst dressed male list in any of those magazines you know there's never any of that and it's kind of I, I did a Q&A with Kate Winslet last week for her new film Ammonites it's a beautiful film that she's in with Saoirse Ronan they have a, a gay relationship in the film and so she said we talked about the fact because I kind of said I said I find it infuriating and I've got nothing to do with this film that you're asked about this sex scene in this film and I bet you've never been asked in the same way about any of the heterosexual sex scenes that you've had or been part of in the past do you know what I mean she went exactly Mm -hmm. why is that it's so wrong you know it's like and I just think that it's just it needs to change the I think the more that we talk about it more we draw attention to the fact that it shouldn't be that way then hopefully Mm -hmm. it might be something that people will think of a lot of it comes to just not thinking about it. There was a, I think it was a year or two ago, it was in Australia, there were these two newsreaders, male and female, and they kind of did a little test. I don't know if you saw this, but the mm. guy wore the same suit every day. Oh, you know, I did hear about this. Yeah. And I think she maybe wore the same dress twice and like no one noticed he wore the same bloody suit every day, but everything that she wore was criticised or she wore the same thing. And it's just interesting. And, and maybe... Maybe it's more we just have to have the conversations. The conversations didn't have space beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, we have to have the conversations and we have to call it out. It's like, you know, because it's interesting because I've got this saying that my friend Nat said to me ages ago. She's like, look, it's none of your business what other people think of you. And I'm like, that is absolutely fine when it's in private. But when it's people Mm -hmm. who are publicly shaming you or calling you out for for no reason whatsoever apart from it's a headline or it's a, you know, a worse dress list or whatever, it's like, well... Can we have a conversation about this before you put my name attached to my name to this sort of thing? Because I think I've got the right to that. It's really interesting. And, and we're talking about it like from a female perspective, but even from podcasts, I've learned so much more about actors. I remember Bradley Cooper being uh, interviewed by Oprah on her podcast and he was saying how how he felt like it's such a failure after he was nominated for an Oscar because he didn't win. And the one question was, oh, you didn't win it. And it's like, it's just, it's mind blowing. Yeah. And you kind of think, oh God, everyone's a real person and every it affects everyone, like being critiqued in whatever way. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of, I also think as well that we're a kind of, you know, our culture is to look at a glass half empty as opposed to why don't we focus mm. on the be- cl- the glass being half full? Mm-hmm. Especially if it's full of half a cocktail from, <laughs> from something that's <laughs> no, been sent in the never post. Again, never again. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Negroni in the post. Um, before I let you go, and obviously we're thrilled that 
soundtracking will go on forever because oh, there's never going to so. be, we're never going to run out of, of things to talk about. Who's your dream that you haven't had? Who are you working on that you want to have on the show that, I mean, you've had so many on already, but who who's the dream at the moment? John Williams is the, is the kind of, mm-hmm. the, the holy grail. And I email his representatives at least once a week before the lockdown. I think my last pre-lockdown email to them was, I could get to Heathrow in an hour and be on a plane. I mean, you know, literally I would jump on a plane and just, yeah, I mean, I threatened to kind of just hang outside his house. Um, they won't even put an address on their emails now just in case I do just rock up. <laughs> but I'm coming at all angles with him. You know, I'm coming mm-hmm. at the his reps. I'm coming at the the kind of Disney side. I'm asking Ludwig Gorenson if he can put a word in, you know, I'm sort of just mm-hmm. trying it. And the same with Scorsese actually as well. I'm kind of navigating. I'm, I'm I'm circling. I'm like a hyena. I'm circling these two. I've got John Williams on one side and Scorsese in the other. And I don't doubt that you won't get them at some stage. <laughs> I will, it'll be it'll be about like a five hour episode though. <laughs> or be arrested for stalking. <laughs> or, or stalking. Good luck with that. Uh, Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you so much for your recommendations. I've loved talking to you, you about too, so my many darling. different things. But congratulations on everything and uh, lots love. of love. And thank you for joining me. My absolute pleasure. Lots of love, darling. Take care. And that's it. Another episode down as we delve deep into my guest's audio world. I hope you get cast away by today's top podcast picks. Yeah, I just said that. Sorry. All of the podcasts we've mentioned today are included in the episode show notes. Now, if you love this conversation as much as I did, please share your thoughts by leaving a review. And if you'd like to receive weekly installments of Cast Away delivered straight to your phone, hit the subscribe button. Until next time, that's it from me. Take care. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.